we are going to be all over in the scriptures. We're going to be covering quite a few of them. Most of them are in your outline. But I can't say that all of them are. So if you want some of the extra ones that are not there, feel free to write them down as we give them to you. But we're going to be taking a look here at what exactly the gift of discerning the spirits is. Now it's only mentioned once in scripture. So some people ask how necessary is it for today? But if you look at the gifts of the Spirit, you'll notice that most of them are only mentioned once in Scripture. Where else do you see the gift of faith mentioned? Where else do you see the even the word of knowledge? You don't see these things mentioned more than once or a couple of times, but it doesn't take away from their importance. And actually, you'll see them in operation throughout the Word of God. They're just not necessarily named as such. So we're going to take a look at this particular gift, the discerning of spirits, what people say that it is. Because it's important for us to know what people say that it is so we can understand whether that should be in our expectation, where maybe that came from. But we want to see and learn from places where we've seen this in operation. Now, I tell you all the time, I love it when people ask me questions and somebody had asked me some questions on this. And... Um, I just uh, got to sit down one day and said, well, I'm just going to pursue the Father on this and, and see what's going on. Because I've had my my understanding of this gift for some years and uh, haven't really expanded it that much. But I just sat on down and, uh, boy, I tell you what, God just started giving me all kinds of stuff on this and I was just writing things down. I even skipped the run that day. It was just so much, so good what we were getting. So, so um if you would have asked me these questions, what is the gift of discerning the spirits a few weeks ago? Probably wouldn't have the same answer I'm going to have for you here today. But we're going to take a look at examples like Jesus and Paul, others, to get some insight on this particular gift. But let's take a look at the scripture where it's covered. Here in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 10, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Now, the word here for discerning of spirits, the word discerning, is the, the Greek word diachrisis. It means a distinguishing, a discerning, or a judging. That comes from Thayer's Dictionary. Now, it comes from, it's a combination word. It comes from crisis, and, and most of these words that are translated in this way, discerning, or distinguishing, or judging, come from a, a uh, word that has the crisis as its base. This means that the, the base word here, crisis, means to separate, determine, judge, approve, or to be of an opinion. To separate, determine, judge, approve, or to be of an opinion. When you put the word dia in front of it, it is a primary preposition denoting the channel of an act. And this is how this thing is coming through. It can mean through place, it can mean through time, or through means. When we talk about that, we're talking about how it, what, what way it is by. So uh, I got this definition from it. Didn't write down the source of this one, but to discern means to perceive by seeing or hearing. Therefore, the discerning of spirits is the same as seeing or hearing into the realm of the spirits. Since it's not on your outline, I'll read it to you one more time. To discern means to perceive by seeing or hearing. 
Therefore, the discerning of spirits is the same as seeing or hearing in the realm of the spirits. Now, this particular word is used a number of times in Scripture, but how it's used in this sentence is what we would call a noun. And as a noun form of this word, it is only used three times. Romans 14.1 has one, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. That word there translated doubtful is this particular word. It's talking about those things that uh, that they're making a judgment, a judgment over, determination over it, but it's not so certain. Don't be sitting there uh, having disputes over these things when the outcome is not really all that well known or, or it's uh, not talked about in Scripture, not giving you a real clear, clear sense of it. Hebrews 5 and verse 14, But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of, of use have their senses exercised to discern, there's our word, to discern both good and evil to discern so you were able to turn discern this is good this is evil this is the this is where this word is used in hebrews now the verb form of this is diachrono which in matthew 16 3 i'm not going to go over all the references for that i'm just going to go over a couple of them that may help us out in matthew 16 3 and in the morning it will be foul weather today in other words you can tell in the morning it's going to be foul weather today jesus is saying of these these guys for the sky is red and threatening hypocrites you know how to discern the face of the sky but you cannot discern the sign of the times how is it you can discern natural things but you cannot discern things that are of the spirit is what he is saying there in mark chapter 11 verse 23 you may be challenged to find it but here it is, here it is for surely i say to you whoever says to this mountain be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that those things he says will be done he will have whatever he says did you see it it's the word doubt this particular word is translated doubt a number of times in scripture not just here the reason it's translated doubt and the reason we get our word uh, we put our word doubt in there is because you as a believer are presented with a number of facts or a number of things that you can make reading off of. And if you make a judgment to go in one direction, the Word of God will say that you are in faith. If you make a judgment to go in another direction, the Word of God would say that you're in doubt. And so when it uses this word here, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt, does not make a distinction, a judgment in his heart, that the things for which for the things in which are said will not come to pass. If you make that distinction on the inside that these things that are said will come to pass, then you won't be in the area of doubt. If you make that distinction on the inside that these things won't come to pass, then you're going to be in doubt. Can you see how that word could be used there? In Acts chapter 10, verse 20, Arise, therefore, go down and with them, speaking to Peter after he had the vision, doubting nothing. God told him, these folks are coming to your door. When they come, they're going to ask you to go with them. Go with them, doubting nothing. Do not make any kind of distinction. Don't look at them and don't say, well, look at how they're dressed. Look at how they talk. Look at who they are. I don't want you to be doubting anything. Do not make a wrong distinction here. What I'm telling you is, go with them. And so this particular word is used here in the verb form. 
1 Corinthians 11.31, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Now, I put this, put this word in here for you for one main reason. This particular verse uses diachrono and it also uses chrono. So if you want to see a, a difference between diachrono and the regular chrono, here it is. Arise therefore, go down and, and I'm sorry, uh, 31. For if we would judge ourselves diachrono, we would not be judged chrono. So if you will take care to judge through the avenue of yourself to make a judgment, then you will not receive this judgment that will come upon you. Does that make sense to you? He's saying you need to judge it yourself. This You need to use the avenue of yourself to make this judgment so that this other judgment does not come upon you. Now here's some of the things that people have said that the gift of the sermon is about. Now, as we get into this, you may have had determinations or may have had teaching or may be thinking that the gift, the uh, discernment of spirits is a certain thing and I may make you mad if I tell you that what you think is not right. So just determine inside, just diachrono inside, <laughs> make that determination that when you see this in the Word of God, you're going to go with what the Word of God says and not what people have taught you. Or what you prefer to believe. Because this is one of nine gifts of the Spirit. Which means we are supposed to operate in these gifts. But if I don't have understanding of what it is, I'm not going to operate in it. Or I will settle for a lesser operation. So, here's first one thing. The discerning of right and wrong. Some people, and it is often called, referred to as, you may have heard this, the gift of discernment. How many have ever heard the gift of discernment? That is not in the scripture. That is what people call it. Now that word does mean discernment. But it is a discerning of spirits. Not just plain discernment. People who say I have the gift of discernment mean I can distinguish between what is right and what is wrong. What is of God and what is not. If you need a gift to do this, why does Jesus tell people, why does Paul exhort people to determine false doctrine from true? Why does Jesus warn them to beware of those that are false, making distinction between those that are true? Why would he do that if you need a gift to accomplish it and we know from 1 Corinthians 12 that these gifts are given how? As the Spirit wills. Well, if it's in the Word of God, if Jesus has commanded it and Paul has, the, has commanded it, that we are to make the determination between what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad, and this is all through the Word of God, if, that is, if we are commanded to do that, is it not the will of God for us to do it? So if it's the will of God for us to always make a distinction between what is good and what is bad, why would we need a special gift of the Spirit to do what is the will of God already? Because the gift of discerning the spirits is given as who wills? As the Spirit wills. Now if its only purpose is, 
or even if one of its purposes is, to determine between good and evil, and we need to gift for that, then it would seem that Jesus is asking us to do things that we are not equipped to do. Then why would he do that? In 1 Timothy 4, in verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Does God desire that anyone wander away? No. So if God doesn't desire anyone to wander away, would it not seem good to God to have given them the gift of discernment so that they wouldn't have wandered? Why didn't God do that? Because that's not what's needed. All you need is the exhortation here. The Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. These are, these are spirits that are set out to deceive and doctrines that come, come born of satanic forces. But apparently, I don't need a gift from God to determine what those are. Because this exhortation is given to everyone. We're told. Well, let's go on. Another thing is that the, the, the uh, gift of discernment or discerning of the spirits is given to discern to the discerning of the heart and intentions of people. Some people say, well, I can just look at somebody and the Spirit of God works within me to tell, tell me whether their intentions are good or whether their intentions are bad. Now, Brother Hagin was very blunt whenever he would teach on this aspect of it. And he would say, that's not the spirit of discernment or the gift of discernment. That's the gift of judgment. That you're just going around passing judgment on other people. And we got to be careful about that. But is this gift to, to help us determine the heart and intentions? Not just right and wrong, but the heart and intentions of people. But again, we're warned to determine false brethren, apostles, leaders, and so forth. So if we need a gift for this, then the exact, is the expectation fair that we should be able to determine who is false, who are false apostles, who are false prophets, who are false ministers? Remember in Revelations, we just covered these. Revelations chapter 2 and verse 2. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and found them to be liars. You see any mention of a gift in there? They tested them. A little bit further down in verse 20. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Seems they did not make that distinction. But if if she is leading them into these kind of things, they really didn't need a gift. They just needed to follow what the Word of God said. And they would have known. And the head of the church is not very happy that they have not done these things. Now, another one is the discerning discerning a true or a false prophecy. I wrote this in there just because it's out there. I don't know who's heard. I've never heard this one before. But I saw their argument for it. Here's their argument. It's kind of comical. I laughed when I read the argument for why they, why they did this. The reason that this gift is, is given to us to determine a prophecy, whether it is correct or whether it is false, is because this gift comes after the gift of prophecy. So I thought, well, by that expectation, 
shouldn't all the other gifts that come after do something for the gift that came before? But that argument is never held for any other gift except for the gift of tongues and interpretation. But Paul directly ties those two together in his teaching on it. He doesn't just list them together. He ties them together. But in no way does he ever tie the gift of prophecy with the gift of discerning of spirits. So I think we can throw that one out. You can tell true and false prophecy through the Word of God. That's all you really need. And down in your spirit, it would be a witness to you. So here's the next one. The scene into the spirit realm. This is one of the things I've always heard about it. That the gift of discerning of spirits is the ability to see into the spirit realm. But we're going to take a look at a lot of examples here. We might be able to expand that a little bit. Now this would take a supernatural element and all the things of the gifts of the Spirit will take a supernatural element. Otherwise they are not gifts of the Spirit, are they? They're not gifts of the Spirit. They would be gifts of maybe your Spirit but not gifts of the Spirit unless they need a supernatural element to them. Now this gift, as with all the others, is not to empower some to sit and judge what others say and do. Now the prophet, the, the Pharisees did this. Didn't the Pharisees sit around and judge the things that other people did? Didn't they sit around and judge the things that John the Baptist did? Didn't they sit around and judge the things that Jesus did? And they passed judgment upon it? Didn't others sit around and pass judgment on what Peter was doing? Wasn't he dragged before the, the high council? And they passed judgment on the things that he was doing? Wasn't Paul dragged before the high council? Wasn't there many persons in the synagogue judging the things that he did? How many good things are said about that? Did you ever find any place in Scripture where it said that those that sat around and judged those people that were doing something were good? It doesn't say that. So people who want to say, well, I'm here to just to, to determine whether something that somebody else does is good or not. I think I left this in your outline. I hope I did. The gifts are always about bringing a word from or the power of God to others through his servants empowered by his, his spirit. The gifts are always... The gifts. We're talking about the gifts here. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are always... Everybody say always. Always about bringing a word from or the power of God to others. That's what they're about. We haven't covered all of them yet. But is not the, the gift of prophecy to bring a word from God to other people? Isn't the word of the uh, word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, isn't that giving something from God to someone else? The gift of faith, the working of miracles, the gifts of healing, is that not bringing the power of God to someone else? You look at the gifts. The gifts are never about bringing the power of God or the word of God to the person operating in the gift. It is always God using the person with the gift to minister to someone else. And it ministers, in all nine of these gifts, it ministers the word of God to them or the power of God. 
This is what it is. Now, if you just simply sit there and decide whether you're, well, I'll let you know whether you're good or not, is that doing either? Does not help them. Now, hopefully I haven't made anybody mad yet. (laughs) Give me time, I'll get there. (laughs) So as I was pondering on this, I came upon, this is what came up in my, in my, in my spirit on this. And as I pondered, I began to say, wait a minute, I see this in all the gifts. I see this in other places. I don't just see it here. But this is what we, uh, we listed there for you in your outline as the uh, three levels of operation. Three levels of operation. And this is in a pattern of three. You're going to see this pattern of three throughout just about every one of the gifts that you can see or the, the area that those gifts are in. So there's a pattern of three that seems to bridge more than just these gifts. So we're going to take a look at that. Here's the, here's the first one, the level one. For all you video gamers out there. This is level one. Right in there, the natural. Natural. This is insight, understanding the natural things like business, finance, marketing, etc. Are there not people who have more insight into the financial world than others? Are there not people who have more insight into things like marketing than other people do? In, into business? Into uh, languages? Are there not people that in the natural just have a greater ability in some of these natural areas? Nothing wrong with that. We can, we can call it a gift from God. God has gifted them with certain things. Uh, uh, people that are actors. Are they not gifted with certain things to enable them to get up in front of people and play a part that is different from who they are than become that part? I mean, if you've ever tried it, you know that doesn't, doesn't come easy. But sometimes we'll see little ones, they're young, they're little kids, and they get up and it just seems like they can just flow into another part and they can just start doing things, acting out things. And it's just to me, there's a natural gift there. God has gifted people with things like this. Some people have been gifted in the area of music. Some people have been gifted in the area of, uh, of business worlds or, or, or languages. If you're gifted in language, it just seems like you pick up languages better. I don't have a gift for language. I sat in Spanish class for two years. And I only know a few words. They just, we just, we didn't connect. I tried a little bit of Hebrew. I cannot connect with the Hebrew language. We're just in different worlds. I've seen some people who, uh, who take on some of the other Oriental languages. Holy cow, I would not want to take them on. But some people, they gravitate to them. They just say, they just absorb those things and, and they can, uh, they can just learn. I think it was, uh, Brother Hagen was always talking about I believe it was P.C. Nelson. P.C. Nelson, if I remember the number right, it's been a while since I've heard the number. I believe he knew, could read and write about 30 languages. That takes a certain amount of ability. He said, uh, Brother Hagen always tells the story. He said, people go up to him and says, uh, he said, Brother Nelson, how many languages do you know? He said, none. How many can you read and write? He said, about 30. <laughs> But you see, the more you get into a language, the more you understand I don't completely know it. 
There's still more to be learned. There's still more to understand. The guy that I had Greek class with, I believe that people said that he knew seven dead languages. In other words, they're not spoken anymore. Koine Greek, of course, is one. That's a dead language. No one speaks Koine Greek anymore. But there's other languages out there that are dead languages. No one speaks them anymore. But you can still learn them. And so I don't know how many other languages he learned, but I, I heard that number that he had. And, and um, uh, I picked. I, I loved his, his love for the Greek and passed that on to me. It's the only language I, I have a love for. I don't love English. I speak it. <laughs> I don't necessarily love it. But anyway, this is the natural spot here. There are natural talents. There are natural things. And if you've ever seen somebody who had a natural ability but did not pursue it, did not develop it, maybe they had the ability to, to play the violin. I mean, some, some little kids, three, four years old, pick up the violin and start playing this sucker. And other people struggle for years to try and learn how to play it. But just because you have that natural given God-given talent doesn't mean that you're going to develop it. There's a lot of people who just never developed that talent, never, may have saw it, but you know, it, it takes some discipline. You have to do some things to develop that natural talent. Just because you may have a natural talent to understand some things in business doesn't mean that it can't be refined or, or helped. You don't know all the things that you need to know. So there's a natural level on this that can be developed. They're not just looking at a worldly natural level. We're looking at those things that God has given you as a talent and ability to, to be able to do. Here's level two. This is the spiritual level. This is understanding on the kingdom things that grows as we increase in the knowledge of God. His word and following the voice of the Spirit. Those that are more diligent increase more. So there's some natural things that I, I have. But and also there's some spiritual things that I can pursue. And the more I grow in the things of the Word, the more I developed that aspect of the Spirit. The more I pursue the Word of God. The more I pursue following the leading of the Spirit. If I have a natural ability in finance, and I can understand things in the area of finance, I can understand the thing of, of um, the, the, the Wall Street and the uh, trading and all that sort of thing. I can understand, I, I can pick that up. But then if I develop myself spiritually so that I listen to the voice of God and God says, but I see something in the natural, it looks like this is a good deal. But in my spirit saying, don't do it. Don't do it. And I develop my spirit. I've trained my spirit. I've learned how to listen to that spirit. Am I not taking what is natural and elevating it to a higher level? If I can take what the spirit of God says to me. Certainly we can. And this is the spiritual aspect of of thing. This is a spiritual level. Sometimes we're taking what is already a natural given talent and developing it on a spiritual level. But you can also take some things that you don't have a natural talent for and still develop it on a spiritual level. Just pursuing the things of God. Well, I don't have a natural talent for, for this stuff with uh, finance, but when I follow the leading and God tells me, buy this, don't buy that, sell this, whatever it might be, I can follow that and I can be developed in that area. So that would be the second level. Level one, nat the natural level. Level two, the spiritual level. Level three, this is the gifting level. This is that area empowered by the Holy Spirit to see and perceive things not picked up by natural or even refined spiritual means. 
This would be the gifting. This is not talking about a natural gift. That's in level one. This is talking about when God comes down and He does something in the area of a gift. Uh, uh, one way you can probably see this and, and apply it, Daniel was a person who had a lot of natural ability in the area of organization and, and being a governor. There was a lot of natural ability there. He developed spiritually to pursue God and understand things of the Scriptures so that he was far more advanced in the understanding of things in the Scripture than the people that were around him. But he pursued that. But there were times that God came down, sent an angel down, and it was said of Daniel, make him understand. So now we are superseding the natural gifting. We are superseding that area of the spiritual, developing the spirit, and we are just kind of leapfrogging you over. We're going to just come on down. We're going to make you understand this. The reason that came to Daniel was because of his diligence in training himself spiritually. Otherwise, God would have just gone down to anybody. But this is the, the gifting process that comes, comes through here. Now you can see these, these levels and other gifts when you have the area of prophecy. We understand the basic aspect of prophecy, but I can just simply have a natural gift to encourage. Barnabas was said to be this way. He just had a natural gift. He was called, called son of encouragement. He just had a natural ability to encourage. Some people, they just have an, a, an ability to encourage. Just them being around you, the words that they say, you just feel encouraged there. That's a natural gift that they have. God gave them that natural gift. They can just be an encourager. They're not trying to operate in anything supernatural. They're just able to come up and in the course of conversation, able to encourage you. But then sometimes we've developed that in a spiritual aspect of things. We've gotten into the Word. And so not only do I have the natural ability to encourage, but I also have the Word of God that has been developed on the inside of me. And I can take that natural gift of encouragement, team it with what I have learned in the Word of God, and share that. But when I get into the gift of prophecy, I'm taking those aspects, and we talked about those aspects in it before, I'm taking those aspects, but then I am also taking what God has revealed to me. God has spoken something to me. God has revealed something for me to say. And that cuts through some other stuff. I have been empowered in that area. In the area of healing, there are some things in the natural you can do for healing. There's medicine, there's doctors, there's, and you can be praying for the docs. Brother Hagin was told uh, by, by uh, Jesus one time when he was uh, ministering to him on this. He said, whenever someone goes in to, for surgery, always make sure you pray that the natural ability of the body to heal would be sped up. And so Brother Hagin taught that to us, and you know, that's something I always uh, would pray for too whenever we would have that. That the natural, the body has an ability to heal. God put it in there. There's a natural ability for the body to heal. But we can pray to God, God speed that natural ability up, that they would recover faster, the pain would go away, whatever it might be. We can pray for that to happen. So there's a, there's a natural area. We can pray for the docs. How many times do we pray for the doctors? Father, give them wisdom in what they're doing. Steady their hand. Let them see things that they hadn't seen before. I remember the story here in the one, one doctor. He was a believer, spiritual believer. I believe he operated out of the city of faith. And he was operating on this particular tumor. And this tumor was um, a malignant tumor. It was in the brain. 
and they knew it was malignant, but it was just far more involved, I think, than they, they thought. It really had his tentacles all in the, in the things, and he was trying to remove as much of it as he could. And he was at it for a couple of hours, and he, uh, you know, he's praying in the Spirit the whole time he, he's doing it. Father, God, help me get this, this thing out. And he just, uh, just came to a point, he just was physically exhausted in doing it, and so he just kind of, I think there was a chair or something, just kind of sat back down, and just stood there, you know, the head's right here, he's operating on it, just kind of sat back down, and just, <sighs> and he's just watching, and praying in the Spirit, because he, he knows what, what has been done is not, is not sufficient. And as he was sitting there, he said, he all of a sudden saw this tumor just um, fall out. Well, all the tentacles, and all the other stuff, it just fell out. So he, he removed it and did some looking around there. Couldn't see anything else that was there. Sewed them back up. Took care of them. And uh, they were healed. Malignant tumor in the brain. It just fell out. I see that's, that helps. It's good to be praying for doctors. It's, we always want, you know, just lay hands on me and, and ha- have the thing die and then I don't have to go through and do anything. We like that. But there's some things you can do in the natural. So even in the area of healing, there's uh, some things you can do in the natural side. There's things on the spiritual side. There's a laying on of hands. I can learn from the Word of God and have faith to have the laying on of hands. The woman with the issue of blood, she heard about Jesus. When she heard about Jesus, she said in, in her heart, If I just touch the hem of His garment, I know I shall be healed. So she got up there, touched the hem of His garment, she was healed. Now see, that wasn't natural, that was, that was spiritual, but... She built that up herself. When Jesus turned to her, He didn't say, it's because of the great gifting that's in me. What did He say? He said, your faith. See, she developed her faith. That was a spiritual development. That's a spirit, that's level two. And she got healed. But there's other times when there's a gifting that comes on. I can think of one particular time when Jesus was passing by and there's this a funeral procession going on by him. And there was a, a, a widow, I'm sorry, a, the mom, and her uh, her son was the one in the coffin. And so he um, had the gift of, of miracles. One of the gifts just came on him. And he didn't look for anybody. He didn't look for the faith of the mom. Of course, there was no faith in the, in the guy, the son. He's dead. He just goes on up there and ministers to him in that coffin and he gets up. He's well. So that's a gifting that came on Jesus. There was no one else involved. Nobody's spirit was developed. There was a gifting. And something great was done through that gifting. We've seen ministers of a healing that have a gifting on them and they seem to be able to cut through some things that other folks haven't been able to cut through. That would be level three. In the area of just in the area of faith, the gift of faith. Well, sometimes there's there's natural there's natural faith. I have just this is just faith based on my on sight. I've seen this. I know that it happens. I can believe it. There's spiritual faith. It's to be more faith without seeing. And there's the gift of faith. This goes above faith without seeing. This is going into a whole nother level. Now we're not we're not on the gift of faith yet. We'll get on to the gift of faith down the road. But each of these levels 
there's a good operation at it. It's not that it's you just throw it out, level one, well, we don't want to be level one. No, if you can get things taken care of on level one, fine. If you need to go to level two, go to level two. Level two is good. So just understand there's that, that part of three, and we'll see it even here in this with the gift of discernment. That there are some natural things that I can discern. And Jesus was even telling them in one of the examples we read, you, you can tell naturally in the morning it's going to be a good day because of how you see the sun, how you see the clouds. If you get into some of all, all his teaching on that, he said, you know that at nighttime, if the moon is a certain way, that the next day is going to be, a, be this way. And we know that from natural, natural things. We can tell this. That's, that's, you, should, you should be able to do that. There's nothing wrong with picking up on those natural things. We can look out the window and say, looks like it's going to rain. That's just natural, based on sight. But I've discerned that it's going to rain. Now there's a spiritual aspect of, of the discerning things, and that's when I have learned the word understand the word and when someone comes along to try and tell me that they are of God but what I know in the word tells me you are not of God that's level two there's nothing wrong with that you should operate in level one and you should operate in level two if you think well I have the gift of discernment but most of what I'm doing is on level two that's fine we're supposed to operate on that. We're supposed to do that. But it is not the gift. It is what we are believers, as believers are supposed to be able to discern from what we gain in the Word of God, from the Spirit that's on the inside of us. I should be able to walk in this. Now, let's go over some examples here. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. This is not the gift of discerning the spirits. I think I put discernment in there. I meant to put the gift of discerning the spirits. This is not that gift. Here in 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 9, we're speaking about the woman with Elisha and she said to her husband, Look, now I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Why does she know that? <laughs> because a miracle happened. So because she saw the miracle... Now she, she already felt like he was a man of God and they were already, they made a room for him and they did all this natural stuff. But then all of a sudden a miracle happens. Now I know. That's not the gift of discernment or discerning the spirits. That is not what it is. That is just simply looking at things that are going on and making a determination whether it's of God or not. In John chapter 4 verse 19, the woman at the well. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Well, this is because he was telling her about her life. You've had five husbands. The one you're living with now, he's not your husband. She says, I believe that you're a prophet. I perceive that you're a prophet. That's not any kind of a gift going on there. That's just simply someone who's not even born again right now. How in the world can the gift of, of, uh, of spirit operate in someone who's not even born again? It's not going to happen.
Then Acts chapter 17, verse 10 through 12. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. They were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. And in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as, as well as men. So this is what happened here. They, uh, they went to Berea. They began to teach them some things. And so they went away and they studied it. This is not the gift of discerning the spirits to determine whether Paul and Barnabas, Silas, or the people that are there, whether they are of a good spirit or not. This is simply taking what they taught, going back to the scriptures. You know what? It checks out. It's in the scriptures. That's just simply level two stuff. Which is good. We ought to be able to operate in that. We ought to operate in that. When Peter has his confession, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus doesn't say, Well done. You operated in the gift of discerning the spirits. What do you say to him? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. We ought to, all ought to be walking in revelation. God ought to be speaking things to us and revealing things to us about his word, about what's going on in our world. There ought to be revelations that are around there. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Well, these are not spiritual people. They have spiritual positions, but they're not doing the work of God. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they tried to get them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. They didn't want people going around healing folks in the name of Jesus. They're trying to get them to stop. Does that sound like people that are going to operate in the gift of discerning the spirits? No. But it says here, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. Well, they didn't need a, a gift of the Spirit for that. Peter didn't hide it. His language wasn't uh, as polished as maybe Paul's was. They were fishermen. They all realized they had been with Jesus. Boy, isn't it great if people can just in the natural tell that you've been with Jesus? But next we see that the gift in operation did involve some seeing. Here we have Elisha and his servants seeing the angels in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16 and 17. This is when the king of Syria sent his army to get Elisha because Elisha was telling secrets. And they didn't want that going on. So he answered in verse 16, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That's Old Testament. There is nothing in the Word of God that says the gifts of the Spirit can't operate in the Old Testament. But here the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. He saw into a realm that is not visible. The people in the, in the foreign army, the Syrian army, they didn't see these, these things. It doesn't even say that Elisha saw them. He just knew they were there. He may have seen them. Not saying that he didn't. He may have seen them. But he doesn't it doesn't say that he did and he didn't apparently need to see them to know that they were there. So he's very confident in that. He said, Lord, open his eyes that he can see this. In Acts chapter 16, verse 16, now it happened as we 
As we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. It does not say that Paul saw into the spirit realm. But it has been surmised that suddenly he saw something. Because he was annoyed at this for a while. But something happened that caused him to suddenly take action. And he took action. It was the assumption, and this is an assumption, we don't know it from scripture, but the assumption is that he knew this was going on, he felt like this was wrong, perceived in his spirit, knew in his spirit, whatever it might be, that this was wrong. This is not the direction to go. And then all of a sudden he saw into the spirit realm that this spirit was behind it and he commanded it to come out. And it did. Now you, this gift may also be in, a, in play, at least the possibility of it, say with the, um, in the book of Daniel, when they were thrown into the fiery furnace and a fourth was visible. Now that was visible by an unsaved king. He saw the, the fourth one. But they also, those in the furnace, saw the fourth being. We had Jacob and the angel that came up. The angel of the Lord came and they had that wrestling match. That may have been this, this gift in operation. We had Daniel's visions when the angelic being appeared or when he saw different things that were going on. Then we had Peter's vision when he was up on the rooftop and was let down upon him this cloth that had all these un- unclean animals on it. And the, the uh, words that he heard come from heaven. Rise, Peter. Kill and eat. Those all involved some seeing. Something was seen. But it is possible that this gift is in operation without seeing as well. When Jesus says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. There is no indication that Jesus saw anything. But he knew, he perceived, he had that that unction. This was not from God. Saw that it was of Satan, and he dealt with it. We have Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 3. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Who did it? Satan. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So the great fear came upon all those who heard these things. It doesn't say that Peter saw anything, but somehow it is revealed to him. He's able to see or to perceive into the realm of the spirit that this was going on. There's something behind it because on the surface, it looks good. Here's a man brought a large sum of money, says it came from the sale, but the spirit of God prompted it because there's nothing in the natural. There's nothing by the teaching of the word of God that would lead him to this conclusion. It came in his spirit somehow. Either he saw something or perceived something or perhaps heard something from the Spirit of God that he acted upon. And obviously it was God 
God executed judgment on him and his wife later on. Jesus with the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 9, verse 4. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? We don't hear that he saw anything, but he certainly perceived. Maybe the Spirit of God spoke it to him. Mark chapter 2, verse 8. But immediately, Jesus, but immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Now these two situations might make a case for the word of knowledge, might make a case for the discerning of spirits. Whatever it was, they acted on it. Paul with Elimus in Acts chapter 13 verse 6. Now when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O fool of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? You don't get that from studying the Word of God. Something else happened. And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you and you shall be blind not seeing the sun for a time and immediately a dark mist fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Number of things in, in this passage. First off, this guy was a sorcerer and somehow the proconsul allowed him in the fellowship and to have influence. If what he did was so blatantly of the devil's kingdom, why couldn't they have picked up on it? Why didn't they pick up on it? But Paul, when this man withstands, withstood him, either he sees into the spirit realm and sees the spirit that is behind this one, or he hears from God something specific, the spirit of God speaks to him and tells him, this is what you should say. That's a gifting. That is going beyond level one. That is going beyond level two. You don't get this just from the word of God. Something was spoken to Paul and he acted upon it. And he just took care of a whole mess of stuff here in just one fell swoop. This guy's been causing problems. He's trying to steer the proconsul away from believing in the things of God, from believing the things that Paul was, was here to minister to them on. And God was able to show them this is how we take care of it. And it was all cut through. A whole lot better than arguing about all these things for, for weeks on end. There were some healings that went on. Mark chapter 9, verse 25. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, this is after he came out of the transfiguration, and the disciples were trying to cast his spirit out, the nine were left, three were up with Jesus. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Now, we're not going to go over all the Mark chapter 9. You can go back over there if you want to and review it. But we know that the nine had perceived that what this man brought him for, this epilepsy, this, these things that were going on, the, uh, the casting down that was going on, the deaf and dumbness, they knew, they perceived that it was caused by an unclean spirit. And they went after it because it says there, how come we could not cast it out? So they weren't just trying to heal him, they were trying to cast out the spirit. They picked up that a spirit was behind this. Either they saw into the spirit realm and saw that a spirit was doing this. I've heard people that have talked about deaf and numbness. 
that sometimes uh, when a person was deaf, they saw into the spirit realm and they saw the uh, demon spirit. And every time I've ever heard them described, they're all described as small, impish, tiny little things. He said he saw it sitting on his shoulder and sometimes they had one finger in one ear or sometimes they put two fingers in the ear and they're just sitting up there on the shoulder with the fingers in the ear. And they said we cast that spirit off and as soon as that spirit got off the shoulder could hear perfectly fine. See, there was nothing that had to be healed in the ear. There was a spiritual force that was there behind it. I've heard other people talk about a mute spirit that was on someone and it was the same thing. The demon spirit was there sitting on the shoulder and had its finger on its tongue. And so they cast it off. It went off. As soon as they did, he's able to talk. So it could be something like that where the, the uh, disciples were able to see into the spirit realm and saw what was going on and dealt with it or they heard something. We're not told that they saw anything. We're not told that they didn't see anything. We're not told that Jesus saw anything. We're not told that Jesus heard anything. We just know that Jesus acted on it. So somehow he saw also this was a, this was a demon spirit. Luke chapter 13 verse 11. Behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could no way raise herself up. Why was she bent over? Because of his spirit. So Jesus calls upon her and he casts out the spirit. He deals with the spirit. He doesn't try and administer healing to the back. He he takes authority over the spirit. When he casts off that spirit, that spirit that had caused this infirmity, once that spirit was gone, then she was freed from that. So either she's in the congregation and he sees something on this woman or he hears in his spirit that this is going on and what to do about it. I can't tell you which way because the Bible doesn't tell us. Most times though that I hear about this people operating in this gift, they see into the spirit realm. Now here's the kicker. You ready for this one? This can get some people mad. If I haven't got you mad yet, this one might get you mad. But I can't find any place in Scripture that would tell me that this is not true. So here you go. It seems that all who operated in this gift, this gift of the discerning of spirits, these examples that we gave you, it seems that all who operated in this gift cast out a demon or exposed its work. Every person who operated in this gift that is in the Bible either cast out the spirit or exposed its work. One or the other. If you believe that you have the gift of discerning of spirits, the proof is in what you have done to the kingdom of Satan when it's been exposed to you. If you do nothing but sit on that information, I would bet you you do not have the gift. Because the people in the New Testament, even in the Old Testament, when they saw into the spirit realm, it always, always caused them to move against that spirit. To expose it, to take authority over it, to cast it out, to do something. Always is what it did. That's the gift. There are no examples in the scriptures of those who only verified what was true. 
No examples at all. So if this is an aspect of the gift, if one of the aspects of the gifts of discerning spirit is to verify what is true, it could only be verified by the boldness in the servant as they expose and cast out demons when the false spirits are exposed. That's the only way that you can verify. Now, I put this in your outline, I believe, too. Anything that is of God will be copied or counterfeited by the devil. Anything that is of God will be copied or counterfeited by the devil. Go all the way back in the, in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. Moses performs a miracle. What do the, the um, sorcerers do? They try and do the same thing. And sometimes they accomplished the same thing. The devil is always trying to copy it because if I can copy what you do, then I lessen the effect of what you do. Or they try and counterfeit it. Balaam was one who tried to counterfeit what God did. They tried to corrupt it, counterfeit it, do something. As you, as you all often have heard, in the world today, no one counterfeits a $15 bill. Because there isn't one. The only thing you counterfeit is what is real and what is genuine. You counterfeit a $10 bill. You counterfeit a $20 bill. You counterfeit a $50 bill. But we don't counterfeit a denomination that is not made because as soon as we see it, we don't have to check it out. We know it's false. There are no $4 bills. There are no $7 bills. Nobody needs to go out there and counterfeit those. If the devil is going to counterfeit what God has, he is going to counterfeit the real thing. That's why you see some of these things in the area of prophecy. They're counterfeit. They're wrong. He's trying to make it look like by people prophesying the chairs and clocks and the things that they're doing, that they are doing what is of God. But it's a counterfeit. And you should be able to see that just from the Word of God, knowledge of the Word of God. Not fall for it, not go after it. But if you are going to operate in this gift, then you are going to be expected to deal with it. God does not show you what is going on in the realm of the Spirit and expect you just to sit on it or pass it off to someone else. Look at it this way. If you are given a word of prophecy from the gift of prophecy, what are you supposed to do with it? Give it, right? You are supposed to give it. If you are given a word of wisdom, what are you supposed to do with it? Give the word of wisdom. You're supposed to do something with it. If you have a gift of healing, what are you supposed to do with a gift of healing? Operate in it. Get people healed. If you have a gift of faith, you're supposed to operate in it and accomplish the things that the gift of faith is there to do. Or the gift of miracles. You're supposed to operate in it and do it to accomplish the work of God. If you're not, why would God give you anything more? Now, if you are not operating on level two in the area of discernment, if I am not able to operate on level two and develop my spirit so that when I hear things that do not line up with the Word of God, then I bring them to judgment. If I am not operating on that level, why would God move me to level three? If I am not doing what I'm supposed to do on level two, why would I go to level three? 
Now here's the thing. This is something I saw with this. If you want to operate in level three on any of these gifts, then pursue level two. If you really want to operate in one of those things, pursue level two. Because you can do that. You can do level two. That's not by the will of the Holy Spirit. That's by your will. If you're going to pursue the things of the Word of God, if you're going to pursue understanding of the Word, if you're going to get the Word of God in you to help you in that area, you can pursue that. Why is it that Daniel was given the great revelation of prophecy? Because he pursued level two. With everything he had in him, he pursued level two. And because he pursued level two, God moved him into level three. And he operated in prophecy in an area of gift. That is a gift. He had the word of knowledge. He had the word of wisdom. He had a prophetic spirit to speak things that would be happening down the, down the road. These things came on him, but he pursued level two. You have nine gifts of the spirit. If you want to operate in any one of those gifts of the spirit, then didn't he say desire the greater gifts? How do you express a desire if you don't pursue something? Let's see, everybody wants to pursue level three. But I don't think we get there to level three until we get there to level two. Even if you don't have any natural ability, any God-given ability to do a particular thing. That's all right. And you know, you can do that. You cannot have a God-given... Have you, I'll give it to you this, this example. I remember hearing Brother Keith Moore, he was talking about this. He said sometime he was little... He had the gift, a natural gift, to be able to speak in front of the crowds. You ever hear him talk about that? He just said I had a natural gift. He can get up in front of a school, you know, in front of class, different places, and just begin to ramble on about stuff. Very comfortable. Just flow. Just flow with it. Anybody ever have that, that ability when you were young? You could just get up in front of people and just begin. Yeah, a couple of nods. Uh, I was not that way. I was completely opposite. If you want to think of what a person is who needs to be in front of people and speak and then think of me, I am the opposite of that. I did not speak in class. I didn't want to raise my hand in class. I didn't, if I, if somebody called on, if the teacher called on me in class, I got nervous. I got tongue tied. I didn't want to speak. It was very tough. All the time back there in class, don't call on me. Don't call on me. Don't call on me. I didn't want to be called on. The only time I ever got fire lit under me for that is when they got on my God. When they spoke harshly about my God in class. Oh man, they got fire. I was still nervous as anything. But I still would get up there and I would, I would do that. Now most people don't know that about me today. Most people don't think that about me today. But my mom, my mom will tell you, she'll verify this with you. That if you give me a choice of being in a room with a bunch of people or being by myself, 100% of the time I would choose to be by myself. I was off playing by myself in the room. She said I would be up in the room and I'd just be doing stuff. If I didn't have any friends to play with outside, that's fine. I'd go out by myself. I could be completely happy by myself. My wife still tells me sometimes that. <laughs> but you see, I, had a, I learned I had to get over that. That was not a natural gift. That was not a natural ability for me. So just because you don't have a natural gift or a natural ability to help out in the spiritual level doesn't mean you can't get there. You can. You can develop that aspect of it. But if you do not pursue level two in any of these things that are gifts in the Spirit or anything else 
that would be for the kingdom. You will never get to a place that you are empowered in gift number three, in, in, the, in a gift of the Spirit. If David had not pursued killing of the lion and the bear, would that anointing have been on him to be in the army the way that he was? He didn't have any natural ability. Of all the people in the family, they thought the least of him in this area. When people looked at him, when he came up and said, I'll go, get, get, I'll go do it, they all laughed at him. Because he did not have that natural ability on the surface. He wasn't built strong, but somehow he's able to get it done. And then God put that gifting upon him, and he became an anointed warrior. But he pursued it. If you want to be moving in the area of the gift of prophecy, if you want to move in the area of the gift of the discerning of spirits, then you've got to pursue level two. You've got to pursue the, the knowledge of God, the word of God on this, and be able to determine what is right and what is wrong from the word of God's standpoint. And not, get this people, oh, please get this, and not move into the area of judgment. Because if you cannot operate on level two in the area of discerning of what is going on, if you cannot operate on level two without moving into judgment, God is never going to move you into level three. It is as He wills, not as you will. And God's going to say, you know what? I like how this one's going. This one is work. We can work with this. Let's put this gift upon them. It's as He wills. And, he, and you can be helped out with that. Now, there are lesser applications of discerning. Don't pass them off as a gift. The gift is supernatural empowerment to do something that in the natural you cannot do. That is the gifting. Supernatural empowerment to do something that you cannot do otherwise. That's going to come up on the inside of you. In the area of prophecy, words just may come up and you just speak them as God gave them to you. Then all of a sudden that person said, oh, how did you know to say that? Oh, that's exactly what I asked God about today. Just exactly those words. You didn't know those words, but supernaturally the Spirit of God gave them to you. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. There are nine gifts of the Spirit. You are called to operate in at least one. At least one. Maybe more. But you are called to operate in at least one. Which means if you don't operate in at least the one that God has called you to, that the body of Christ suffers and is hindered. Don't let the body of Christ suffer or be hindered. Pursue it. He didn't say, wait until these gifts come upon you. He said, pursue. Pursue them. Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts. We got to go after them. They don't just come upon us just because, well, I've been a Christian for 30 years. About time one of these things came upon me. Level two is your audition. How are you doing on that? And when you can operate on level two in a lesser area of the gift, and not move into judgment, not move into harshness, 
not move into the, any of the wrong things, the pitfalls that are there. When you stay out of that and you stay clear of it, God says, here we have a candidate. This is someone we can move up to where they are empowered. They are empowered. Ever since I was young, I liked sports cars. Anybody else have that? Like sports cars? My favorite was the Mustang. I just, for some reason, I just loved the Mustang. I wanted a Mustang. I wanted a Mustang to be my first car. I had one all picked out, but I didn't have any credit, so I had to get my parents to co-sign on it, and they would not co-sign on me having a Mustang for my first car. So I didn't get a Mustang. I got a, I got a uh, car that, you know, is a car. You're always glad to have a car. It was a Datsun B210. It's like closing a tin can when you close the door. I mean, that's what it felt like, a tin can when you closed it. Had that thing for a year, established credit, and then went on out and uh, didn't get a Mustang. But I got, a, I got another car and had that car for four years. And I always was saying, you know, if I, I'd driven a Mustang and, well, the, the Mustang went through a little tough period. It wasn't handling all that well. It, uh, you didn't feel the road all that well. And those, well, I saw a lot of people writing up and commenting about it. I said, well, if Ford ever comes up with a front-wheel drive sports car, I'm going to buy it. And so I was getting ready to buy, I would lease this car that I had for four years, and I was getting ready to buy it. And as I was walking on down the Ford place, I was walking on by a car that caught my eye. Turked my head around and said, what is that? He said, that's brand new. Ford just came out with it. It's called a Probe. I said, uh, I want to drive it. So we got in the car and we went for a drive. And I said, I changed my mind. I don't want to buy the car that I've had for four years. I want to get this one. Now understand, this had just come out. This was only the second probe that they had on their lot. You don't get a deal. When is the second car? But I wanted that car. And so I bought that car and drove off the lot. Had that car for 18 years. Loved that car. That car could hug the turns and, all, and it had a good pep. wasn't a total sports car, so it didn't get the, in, the sports car uh, insurance. But, oh, I'd get out on a windy road. It was a manual, you know, downshifting into the curve. Oh, I was just in heaven. I was having fun. And then I went down to Selfords down in Oklahoma for a while, and they had another version of this, and it was available when I got mine, but I didn't get it. I got the LX version, which was a little, little cheaper, and uh, insurance was cheaper on it. But they had what they called a turbo model. And I got into the turbo and was driving that around because when you sell them, you have to drive all the stuff that's there. And, and uh, one time they needed some paperwork downtown really fast. So I said, give me a fast car. I'm ready for either a Mustang GT or a Probe Turbo. They had a Probe Turbo. I took that Probe Turbo. I, I came back. I got the stuff down there. Came back and said, I am so glad I didn't buy that car. I was thrilled. I was so glad I didn't buy that car. I said, because that car is bored at 60 miles an hour it gets to 60 so fast and it's just it's like come on let's go when you get the gift of the Holy Spirit empowering to do what you had already done in the spiritual level it is like putting a turbo on an already hyped up engine because the probe was no lack 
in this engine. They'd had a good engine and it could go fast without the turbo. But you put that turbo on it. Oh, man. But you see, you can't just put that kind of power in anyone's hands. There's a testing out period. I hope you, when you go home, meditate on level two for some of these gifts. How can I operate in level two? Because I want to contend for level three. I want to make a case for level three. Because God's looking for people that he can put these gifts on. It doesn't matter if you have all the natural ability. What matters is, what have you done at level two? Because God doesn't just arbitrarily throw level three giftings on people who haven't been yet proved. Y'all bow your head with me. Father, I thank you for the gifts and the power of your anointing. That what we can accomplish in level two is far below where we can go when we hit level three. When we hit the gifting, being empowered by the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thought we were doing good before. We thought, oh wow, this is all right. But then all of a sudden we got the turbo model. Wow. That is something. Oh, feeling the power of God just move through me like that. Father, we've got to get ourselves established, firmly rooted, in level two, so that level three doesn't carry us away. You're looking, you're waiting for us to be ready. There are more people who ought to be operating the gift of faith, the working of miracles, the gifts of healings. There's more people I'll be operating in the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom, discerning the spirits. There's more people that I'll be operating these than are. Father, we want to pursue the gifts. Pursue love because if we're not governed by love, we get carried away by love of self, selfishness, judgment, harshness. And we're not pursuing the love. But you want those gifts to be put on people that are guided and directed by the love in them. That power won't corrupt them. Won't take them in a direction that they would crash. But they can take all that power, harness it in a direction for where it's supposed to go. Thank you, Father. No head, no one looking around, heads bowed. How many will say with me, I will make a renewed commitment to operate in level two of the gifts so that I can operate in the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gifting of the Holy Spirit. One of these nine, two of these nine, whatever it might be, that God can say, we can trust this one with the power. If you'll renew yourself to that kind of a lifestyle, raise your hand. Father God, you see the hands that are raised, and I thank you for the way that you are ministering to us, that you will teach us the things we need to know as we operate on level two and develop ourselves spiritually in these these things so that when the gifting comes, it will not carry us away, will not send us into a place of being judgmental and harsh, 
Give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.